oh, I'm for everyone, or, you know, I want to have clients in all different states and countries, when the reality might be that you need to really focus on where you currently are and just knocking it out of the park and becoming like the absolute best design firm in your city and then go out from there. You really have to start first. You know, I graduated from the Seth Godin marketing seminar. So I'm like very much of the Seth Godin marketing school and philosophy of people like us do things like this. And so I encourage everyone to really dive in and understand what marketing even means at the core. You're listening to Brandlift with Tori Sikama, where each week we demystify branding, marketing, and business to help you get seen, get published, and get booked by dream clients. I'm a beach-loving mom from the Jersey Shore who quit her full-time gig and picked up a camera. Six months later, I was published in six different magazines for my interiors and branding photography, launching me down a path to booking clients who love me. Needless to say, I'm obsessed with all things branding, marketing, and design. Now I'm bringing my 20 years of marketing expertise and my passion for photography and design to help you get in front of your dream clients too. I'll talk about the real struggles of being an entrepreneur, creating a brand that people love, and how to set yourself apart and grow your business quickly. If you're a photographer, interior designer, architect, builder, or you just love all things design like me, grab a martini and get cozy as we gather to get real about your brand identity, numbers, marketing, and more so you get seen, get published, and get booked. Get ready to give your brand a facelift with Brandlift. Welcome to Brandlift. I'm Tori Sikama, and I'm excited for you to be joining me today. It is a beautiful fall day in New Jersey. The leaves are starting to change, kind of, but what I'm excited about is the humidity is going down. My guest today is Molly Schoenevelt. Now, Molly is in PR and marketing, and we're going to talk all about that. But I want to tell you first how I was introduced to Molly, a mutual friend of ours, Erica Sorit, who is also a PR and marketing professional, hosted us for a panel at Fall Market at Universal's Learning Center. And it was a phenomenal coming together of marketing minds to demystify PR and marketing and photography and just talk about what all the trends are for 2024. But I want to tell you a little bit about Molly first. Molly is known for her ability to build visible and personality-driven brands in the lifestyle space. Molly began her career in Hollywood, of all places, working directly under Academy Award-winning producer Brian Grazer and was soon recruited to powerhouse entertainment firm PMK, where she worked with A-list talents like Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees of Separation, Gerald Butler, and... (laughs) Olivia Wilde. She started her PR firm, The Storied Group, in 2008 and soon developed a niche expertise at the intersection of entertainment and lifestyle, representing several interior designers that had celebrity clients. 
which was her foray into the high-end design world in Los Angeles. Since then, she has worked with design and lifestyle clients across the country, helping them publish their projects, launch stores, books, and product collaborations. Career highlights include putting the interior design firm Hammer & Spear on the map as a design destination in the downtown LA Arts District and helping to transform the iconic Golden Door Resort back into what Travel and Leisure named the number one destination spa in the world. Wow. Welcome, Molly. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. We're going to dive right in because you and I have been talking a little in the green room and I needed to hit record because we just hit it off immediately. So I want to dive into our first question, which is, what are the key trends in marketing for the home industry that you foresee in 2024? And how can interior designers leverage these trends? We're starting hot here. (laughs) So what I'm starting to see more of is that design influencers have really started to solidify their place within the home industry. And I think that's only going to get bigger. This year, House Beautiful launched their first ever creative class. And my client, Drew Michael Scott of Lone Fox, was part of that. I think magazines are really starting to leverage the power that these influencers have in the home industry. And so you're starting to see it across not only in editorial, but also in partnerships. I'm actually headed to New York on Wednesday for a partnership that Drew is doing with Architectural Digest, but it's an event that he's co-hosting with AD on behalf of a brand in the home space. And so I think we're going to start seeing more creative ways that magazines drive revenue because at the end of the day, I think people forget that publishing is a business and it's not just about publishing pretty homes. It's about driving content that people want to read and therefore advertisers want to advertise in these different verticals. And it's not just in a print magazine anymore. And in fact, I think you're seeing that less and less. It's becoming more digital-driven, events-driven, experience-driven. And so I think that's really going to start to inform the industry as a whole. But at the end of the day, marketing trends, it's a funny thing because yes, I think that it's important to understand the new and exciting thing. However, I think you really have to always go back to the basics of marketing. When you're thinking about if you're trying to level up your business and get more of your dream clients, you really have to go back to the basics of who's it for? And I think we can all get caught up in thinking that, oh, I'm for everyone or, you know, I want to have clients in all different states and countries when the reality might be that you need to really focus on where you currently are and just knocking it out of the park and becoming like the absolute best design firm in your city and then go out from there. You really have to start first. You know, I graduated from the Seth Godin marketing seminar. So I'm like very much of the Seth Godin marketing school and philosophy of people like us do things like this. 
And so I encourage everyone to really dive in and understand what marketing even means at the core before you start jumping on every trend. I think that's excellent. And specifically niching down, really knowing who your audience is. Who do you really want to have that intimate conversation with? Because you can't have it with everyone. You know, it's like everything. So totally, those are great insights. Okay. In terms of marketing budgets, and this is a biggie, where do you recommend interior designers and home brands invest their marketing dollars first for the best results? And when we talk about budgets and working with PR and marketing professionals, give us some insights about what interior designers realistically need to be looking at. I mean, first and foremost, it has to be photography. So I'm sure that you're super happy by that. <laughs> but because before you even hire a publicist, you have to have the basics really mastered. And that also means a beautiful website that's thoughtful and you know, really speaks to the branding that you want to put out into the world. I mean, I get so many new business inquiries and they're from big firms in their various states that are really killing it from a numbers perspective and square feet perspective. They're doing these enormous homes, but they want clout and they want to be featured in AD and World of Interiors and all these publications that really are just so elevated. But then you look at their website and you're just like, okay, well, I can see that you've invested in SEO, but that's a whole different strategy. And that's not to say that you shouldn't invest some in SEO, but it can't be the only thing. Photography is the thing that helps me sell your projects to the media. It's also what clients care about. You know, I have clients that get caught up in just the funniest things on their website because video is so hot right now. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have video, but if you think that a client is going to hire you because they've watched your employees like looking at their computer in a video. That's just not what people care about. They want to see your work. They want to feel like they connect to your style of design. And I mean, that's why I hired a designer for my new home in Raleigh. You know, like I connected with their style I, and I saw they were featured in a magazine and I was like, oh my God, I love their style. Like I want that for my house. And I didn't really care so much about everything else, but it was the photography and the editorial spread that first connected me to them. Yeah. You and I are going to dive into photography a little bit like we did in the green room. Yeah. But I 100% agree with you. I love reels. You can use, and something I talked about, a talk that I did down in High Point last fall, is take that imagery you can make reels with it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be video content. Video has its place, certainly, but I think the classics and timelessness are photographs and photography. I totally agree. I mean, I think that it drives me crazy, this whole trending sounds thing on Instagram, because what it's done is stifled everyone's creativity it's propelled people that aren't adding any value to anything because they've used a trending sound. And to me, if that's your strategy, eventually going to fail. And in fact, as I'm talking to Drew this week about this event that we're doing in New York, you know, he's creating some content. We're going to New York Design Center and he's creating some content there and he's required to do certain things for this event. And they were like, oh, you could do a reel or you could do carousels. And he's like, no one's going to watch a reel of like a recap of this event. 
no one cares. And that was very eye-opening for me because I'm like, you know what? He's so right. And I'm guilty of doing that too. Like if I go to like Legends in LA, I mean, I lived in LA for 23 years until April, I'm now in Raleigh, but going to Legends and then we do like this recap reel. He's absolutely right. No one cares. No one cares. But what they do care about is what did I learn at Legends? What are some of the trends that editors mentioned or the designers are seeing? And so I think it just always comes back to trying to put your shoes in that of the people that are going to be watching your content. I'm never going to get tired of seeing beautiful photos. And I think too, that it's about serving your audience. How can you help them build their business, help them achieve their goals? It's not about you until it's about you. Help serve your client and help others get to where they want to be. And then you'll get where you want to be. It's a good working model. Can you share an example of an innovative marketing campaign you've worked on to support interior designers or home brands and what made it so successful? Sure. I think there's a couple. The Hammer and Spear, since you mentioned that in my intro, I'd like to dive into that a little bit because that was such a success. So Kristen Cunningham was the face of HGTV at the time that she hired my company. And she originally hired my company because she was going to have a show on the own network. And so we did entertainment PR at the time. And, you know, we were going to be promoting the show. Anyway, that did not go as planned. And so she and her husband, Scott, decided that they wanted to open a mom and pop shop downtown in the arts district. And the arts district at the time really was just on the cusp of what it is today. And so they were one of the first design firms and creative people to actually move down there and open a business. And it was so successful. I mean, this has been years ago now, but at the time, the hot thing was Urban Daddy. And so we really wanted to position them as the cool kids. And so everything that we did in terms of our press, outreach, and everything, we wanted to make sure that we were aligning them with that messaging. And it really worked. And they ended up, I mean, they got everything. They got so much press from just the opening. And then they ended up expanding into a larger front facing space into like the main area of the downtown arts district. And so they launched a design firm and they needed to really solidify themselves as part of the high end Los Angeles design scene. And so getting their first project published it really was important because that was going to set the tone for how this was going to go. And their first project, their client was the founder of Tom Shoes. And so we got that project in, in AD. And that was the first project that I ever placed in AD. And it was incredible. You know, they reshot it. Roger Davies shot it. It was incredible. And like that really just it just kind of soared from there. And they ended up closing their store downtown during COVID, but they still have their studio in La Cienega. And like, they're just doing extremely high-end projects. And their store that was a mom and pop store is now a high-end showroom. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very different business model, but the press and how we really debuted them as going from HGTV to this was just so important. And it worked. So I'm really, really proud of that. What a great bridge. 
what a great conduit from going from HGTV to just kind of coming into your own as a brand. And I can only imagine the satisfaction that you had to see this to fruition. And Architectural Digest, it is the top of the mountain. And it's similar almost with Drew Michael Scott from Lone Fox. I mean, he's a content creator, but he's so much more than that. And the thing that has separated him from a lot of other creators in his space is his ability to get top tier press. It's not that hard to get apartment therapy, but it's hard to get a YouTube series with Architectural Digest. And we did that for him. And we got him part of House Beautiful's creator class. And he didn't have a single piece of press when he hired us. So yeah. So Molly, what is it? What is his secret sauce? Well, I think exactly what you just said. It's that it factor. But I'll tell you something else, especially with Drew more than anything else. And I was having this conversation with actually a journalist yesterday about Drew, who's writing a piece on him. He is consistent. And he just hit a million followers on Instagram, which he did in such a short amount of time. And he said that he has not missed a week of posting on YouTube since he was like, I think in the last 10 years. And obviously he is doing content at the highest level. He is such a perfectionist when it comes to aesthetics. And even when we're working with media brands, you know, he isn't afraid to have an opinion about their thumbnail image on YouTube. He'll be like, oh, can we please ask them to use this and change? I mean, he really cares because at the end of the day, it's a reflection of him. And I do feel like some of this is his age. You know, he's not old enough yet to have been rejected as much as someone maybe in their 40s. I mean, I like look back at myself at 20 and think how fearless I was. And now it's like, you know, I've been rejected. And so you lose some of that boldness, I think, which is really sad. But he's just not afraid to have an opinion. But more than that, he does the work. He puts his butt in the chair and he shows up and he does his two videos a week on YouTube and he posts to Instagram and he stays up until two in the morning to finish projects. He's not only balancing his own channel, which is how he makes the majority of his money, but he's also managing working with brands and he has some clients. I mean, he has a huge celebrity client that he can't talk about that he'll, I mean, we'll never be able to talk about it, but it's, you know, he's managing a lot of things. And so he doesn't just say, I don't feel like doing this today. I have a lot of respect for his work ethic, and that's exactly what it is. He has a tremendous work ethic and, you know, content. So segueing into content and creation of content, and we're going to now talk about interior project photography because that's obviously what I do, and I'm very blessed to be a successfully published and architecturally published photographer. That is a badge of honor that I wear. I worked really hard for it. I'm dedicated to my craft. I love what I do. It's not work. It's my creative outlet and it's just my heartbeat. It's what I'm drawn to do. But there's a lot of mistakes out there and I know you've seen them on your end come across your desk and a designer saying, I really want to be published. Here's what I've got. So talk to me about what are some of the top mistakes that interior designers are making with their photography? The first is hiring a photographer within the style that like if you want to be in 
a magazine that prefers dark and moody photography, you know, don't hire a wedding photographer. I always say the portfolio of the photographer, that is going to show you what you're going to get. So you shouldn't say like, oh, I'm sure they could do this and put a filter on it or whatever, you know? So that's the first mistake. The second mistake would just be um, lighting. You know, a design client of mine recently, and she's been in this business for a very long time and has been published, but designers think that they should leave lights turned on because it will accentuate their lighting fixtures when in fact the opposite is true. And certain photographers when done correctly, can get it right with certain lights. But more often than not, it just casts this weird, like yellowish glow. They look like real estate images. It just doesn't work for editorial. So I encourage all of you to look in your magazines and like, you're very rarely going to see an image in a print magazine where lights are turned on. Lamps, sconces, chandeliers, like it's all natural lighting. And then thirdly, I would say a mistake is not investing in an interior stylist because there is a very different art to styling for editorial. And what we're seeing more and more of now is less perfection and way more of that lived in, undone, something's a little bit off that just tells a story. And so I think for a lot of publications, you know, gone are the days of like two dozen perfect roses bunched together in a vase. You know, it's more of this wild, undone, like a daisy strewn and just a bud. Ba- you know what I mean? Like it's just, oh, it's just, yes. and, and stylists really understand. We did a, a reshoot for, when I say reshoot, meaning we had scouting shots and the magazine reshot the project for Better Homes and Gardens. And I asked the stylist on that shoot, you know, is there something that you would never use? Like, is there something that editors can't stand? Something that you would just you know, you'd be like, oh gosh, don't ever use that. And she said orchids. And that always just stuck with me because you see them all the time in interior designers project photos, but it's rare that you would actually see that in an editorial image. And it's not that orchids aren't beautiful in real life. They just, they don't tell the story that most editors want to tell these days. They're not translating well. Right. Well, okay. So those are three great things. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I want to talk about, I want to take styling a little bit further because I agree. You have to tell a visual story. It has to stand out to the editors in a way that's going to then translate to their readership. Because when I said before, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about the interior designer, it's not about the stylist, it's about the reader of the publication that you then want to grace the pages of. So can we back that up to styling and what editors are looking for? And I'm sure editors are saying, thinking to themselves, what can connect to our readership, what hasn't been done before, what can make us stand out in the industry. So Molly, what are you seeing? What are editors saying about styling, about trends, about moodiness of the vibe of the photography? What is going to help someone, some interior designer get published? 
The best thing that I can tell you is that you need to study the magazines that you want to be in because every magazine has a different style. That's why there's different magazines. And in the beginning, if you're going to style your own photo shoot, then I mean, I hate to say copy, but to a degree, you're going to have to take elements from what the magazine is using until you develop your own editorial eye. I mean, there's no like fast and true thing. I mean, I'm sure Colin King would disagree with me, but I'm not a stylist. You know, I can just tell you that again, you know, from what I said before, it's just this very much undone, lived in, like that's the trend that we're seeing now, just getting away from this perfect room that looks like no one lives there. I love that. And I agree with you. I think that gracing the pages of a publication, it has to be something special. It has to be a story that hasn't been told yet or told in a different way or from a perspective that's going to connect with the readership. And so once you do get published, once you have great photography and great styling, you've been published, how do you then leverage this press to grow your brand? So there's a few ways. The most obvious would be to make sure that you have a press highlight on your Instagram, have a press page on your website. I think it's a great opportunity in your newsletter. And this is going back to Golden Door, which is my client, which Victoria Hagen designed. So there is a design element to that client. But during COVID, Golden Door had to build outdoor spa setups, like these beautiful huts, because people didn't want to get, have massage therapists come to their rooms. And so I got them a story in Vanity Fair. And what they did was they pulled quotes from that story and used that in their newsletter to say, Vanity Fair showcased our outdoor spa experience. And this is what they had to say. And it's so much more powerful when someone else talks about you rather than you talking about you. So if you get an amazing profile, you can pull quotes from that and use those as testimonials on your website. Use them as content for your social media. I mean, it's really the biggest thing that can give you credibility is saying that you've been published. I mean, I think even more than awards, because I think that while industry awards are great, I mean, my company's won industry awards, but no one outside my industry has ever heard of those awards. So unless you are winning like AD100 or A-list from El Decor or like, you know, something super, super top tier that consumers know, I just don't think that it's going to make that big of an impact in the way that getting press does. That's wonderful. And I think that it helps. We talked about content again and Drew and why he's such a superstar. It's leveraging all of that and giving it life or breathing life into what you're putting out there that's actually going to help and serve your audience again. It's not that self-serving, hey, look at me, I'm in this cool place, but no, here I'm in this cool place and this is what I learned and this is what can help you, these four tips or this is what I learned. So I think that's really powerful, Molly, and I think that the more people kind of positioned and kind of flip the script and their mindset of how they think about press, how they think about content, how they think about an upcoming project that needs to be photographed, hiring those professionals, investing 
in the project is going to then be a full package to bring to you across your desk to say, hey, yeah, I can definitely shop this and help you get some press from it. Totally. And I would say that when you're hiring a photographer, something that will help us (laughs) help you is really understanding your contract ahead of time and knowing what you need to negotiate ahead of time. You and I were sort of talking about this a little bit, but designers a lot of times don't understand what they're even signing. And I think a big misconception is that when you pay a photographer for your photo shoot, you then own those images. And there are times that you can do a full buyout. It's quite expensive, but generally you are paying for a license. That's a fancy word for like the right to use them in a certain way. And so you want to make sure because while there are budgets, of course, for photography, and as a publicist, I always ask the publication, you know, do you have a budget? Can I loop you in with the photographer? So the photographer can make, it's usually like, you know, $200, $300, maybe it's $500, for the images to run online or whatever it is. But that's great. I want photographers to get paid for those license fees when they are there. But a lot of times they aren't there. And so you don't want to get in a situation where I'm just using Domino as an example. It's like they may pay for depending on what it is. It's like for roundup pieces, they're not generally going to license those images. So It would just be a bummer if like your photographer wouldn't let you use them for those purposes. So you just need to ask the question. If something comes up where a magazine wants to include an image and they don't have a budget, then what happens? Because you don't want to lose out on opportunities because you didn't know ahead of time. A client of mine misread her contract and thought that she had the right to use the images for press. And she had the right to pitch the images for press, but then the photographer wanted to get a licensing fee. And we secured a pretty big feature and there was no budget. And it was a thing. I mean, the photographer ended up letting her use them, but he wasn't happy about it. So I think it's just making sure that you understand your contract and negotiate that ahead of time. And you may have to pay a little bit more, but it definitely, it would be worth it. I think it's all about the relationship that you have with your photographer on the front end. So my process is very detailed and a lot of designers don't understand why it is so that I have uh, questionnaires and why we have a creative brief and why we review things and why if I can scout, I want to scout because all of those expectations and all of those deliverables on the back end, it's my name, it's my reputation. And I want to ensure that what my client is asking for is what I'm delivering on the back end. And my single purpose is to help them achieve their goals. And in turn, I achieve mine. It's the best business model going. I don't succeed until I help you succeed. And the only way I can do that is if we have a relationship of collaboration and understanding so that I am not a barrier to your success. I'm a partner on board working and helping you and your PR firm achieve everything that you want to achieve because guess what? 
I'm part of that team. A huge part. <laughs> a huge part. So, hey, send your designers my yeah, way, Molly. Exactly. I will. I think I you will. and I have a really great rapport. I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, listen, on that note, how can people connect with you? Give us all the places we can connect with you. So you can go to the Storied Group's Instagram, which is just at the Storied Group. You can go to my personal Instagram, which is molly.shoneveld. I know that's a hard one. And then our website is just thestoriedgroup.com. If you want to read all about our services, uh, we would love to work with you. We try to work with clients. We offer a project placement service. So if you are not quite ready for, you know, full service monthly retainer PR. We do a project-based service. So it's one project, one full home tour, and one exclusive placement. We do need 20 to 25 images of your project though, and we need all of the main rooms. So I really built that service more like a product. It's like a very turnkey experience and it's gone very well. We've placed projects in huge national publications like House Beautiful and AD, and we've placed projects in regional publications, which you really should not overlook regional because it is powerful with this fragmented media we have. It can be more powerful than the national books, especially if it's a national book that's really catering more to your industry and not your clients. Well, I want to piggyback just on this because I know I'm going to have a ton of questions from designers who hear that you can do project-based an entryway to working with mm -hmm. a PR professional could be project-based. What would a budget of entry be for something like that, Molly? So if we place your project, the total is $3,500 and you pay half up front. So it's $1,750 deposit. And I know that there's other firms that don't charge deposits or they might charge a little less, but the feedback I get is that designers would rather have to pay something up front because then they know that I'm on the hook. You know, they know that I am in it with them and it pays for the time and our expertise because we're guiding someone through this process. And sometimes it takes a few weeks and sometimes it takes months. And so to me, it's like, if I don't charge the deposit, if it's only a pay to play kind of thing, you know, if, you, if only you get the project placed, to me, it just feels like I'm not invested in getting your project placed as much because there's going to be other people that I can get placed and I'll just focus on those. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like the agency model of like 10% versus the PR retainer. Yeah. So if, if we place your project, then the rest of the money is due. And then, you know, it gets you five pitches. So we have to make sure that if we take on your project that we feel confident that there are five outlets that could be possibilities. So we really don't take on a lot of projects. We turn down a lot because we don't want to take your deposit and not deliver. I mean, that does not feel good for anybody. So yeah, it's been really great and successful and helpful, I think, for designers who are really looking to just dip their toe in. That's great. 
Well, Molly, this has been so enlightening and it's been such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and, and Erica connecting us and I'm coming south. So hopefully we'll see each other soon. I can't wait, but it was so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me and we'll be working together soon. I just know Thank it. you, Molly. And I'm going to follow Drew's successful career. I'm so excited for him. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. All right. Bye-bye. Talk to okay, you soon. Bye. You just finished another episode of Brandlift, where we talked all things branding, marketing, and design. Make sure you rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To continue the conversation, head on over to my Instagram at Tori Sikama Photography. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. For show notes and any links to this episode and to snag your step-by-step -step guide on how to get published, Head on over to torysicamaphotos.com and get started on your path of getting seen and getting published. See you next week on Brand Lift.